0: joining us today to our fifth Talk BD event. I'm really pleased to be hosting today on behalf of CrestBD. Um, and today we're going to be talking about sleep uh, during the time of coronavirus. For many people, myself included, sleep hasn't always come easy during this time. Um, so today we'll be talking about why it's particularly important for people with bipolar disorder to maintain good sleep and share some tips and strategies about how you can do that. We have two founding members from Crest on the line with me today. Uh, From my old home in Australia, Professor Greg Murray, and the always wonderful Victoria Maxwell. So wherever you're joining us from today, welcome. I'll quickly introduce myself first. I'm joining you from sunny today, mainland Vancouver. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of British Columbia. I study quality of life in mood disorders and digital health tools. Uh, In the past, I've worked as a psychologist in Australia, and I've been with the Crest BD team since 2015. Uh, In my spare time, I like to dabble with creative hobbies to support my own quality of life, whether that's drawing or crochet. Uh, And lately, I've had to add running to my my list of hobbies, because my husband's quarantine hobby is baking lots and lots of sweet things that nobody else but me can eat. (laughs) So I'll now pass the mic to Greg Murray to introduce himself.
1: Hi guys, Um, uh, it's great to be here on this TalkBD event. Um, I'm a professor of clinical psychology in Australia and I'm the director of uh, the Centre for Mental Health at Swinburne University of Technology and Emma Morton was my PhD student and uh, that shows what a good supervisor I am. uh, I've been with Chris BD since the very start, uh, and have enjoyed the, the, the road as Chris BD has developed. My particular research interest is in fact, uh, today's topic is sleep and circadian rhythms in bipolar disorder. And you might be able to see in, in the room that I'm in a couple of drum kits. So, so my first career was as a drummer and, uh, That's literally why I became interested in those 24-hour cycles that are so important to well-being. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to having a chat about some of those issues and how they're playing out at the moment. Over to Victoria.
2: Hi, uh, I'm Victoria Maxwell, and uh, I've been with Crest as a peer researcher since the beginning, since 2007. And have really enjoyed my time too. Uh, on the other time that I, uh, when I'm working, I'm a mental health speaker uh, with lived experience. I have bipolar disorder and generalized anxiety disorder and psychosis, temporal lobe epilepsy, disordered eating, all that sort of stuff. And have been living well with bipolar disorder for a number of years, um, uh, thankfully. And um, I also do mental health coaching and uh, keynote speaking uh, at conferences. And uh, on my spare time, I'm thrilled to hear that you uh, are running now, uh, Emma. Uh, I'm an avid runner, an avid slow runner, but a runner nonetheless. And uh, also I guess uh, something else is that I'm writing a memoir about my own experience with bipolar disorder and the intersection with spirituality. And I'm really enjoying that. So yeah, thanks.
0: Thank you both. I'm really excited to have you both on the line with me today. Um, if you're new, if this is your first Talk PD event, um, this is something that we've been running once every couple of weeks as a way to help support people adapt their self-management practices to uh, what has been uh, quite a trying and disruptive time for a lot of people. Um, Crest BD is a Canadian research organisation, we're dedicated to advancing research and knowledge translation for people with bipolar disorder, and the way that we conduct our research is by working hand in hand with people with lived experience of bipolar disorder uh, to to make sure that we touch on research that is important to areas valued by people who live with this condition, and we make sure that we try to make those findings accessible to everyone so clinicians and people who are living with bipolar disorder and their family and supports and we have lots of international partners like greg um, uh, and spectrum who were on last week Uh, so we're canadian-based but uh, distributed all over the world so before we begin i have a couple of little housekeeping points today we have people joining us by zoom uh, as well as the facebook live stream and so we're taking questions in a number of ways um, people have submitted anonymous questions beforehand by the Crest BD website. And you can also type your questions into the Zoom Q&A box uh, or you can pop them into the Facebook uh, live stream and uh, Laura will make sure they get to the team. Uh, so with that, I will hand it over to Greg
1: okay so so the the way that uh, I think today's going to work is is as as Emma said, we really want this to be a sort of dialogue and a coming together as an opportunity for support, but we have a particular topic, and so um, i'm going to just say two or three introductory things really about this topic just just to set the scene and, and get us started um, so what is it about? COVID-19 and this, and this unusual time we're going through that might be particularly challenging for sleep? Well, the answer to that question is, is really a feature of sleep that not everyone is perhaps fully conscious of, though though I have noticed that um, over the last couple of months, there has been more and more recognition of this in just the, in the media generally. And the feature of sleep I'm talking about is the fact that we sleep not just because we're tired, but we also sleep because our body clock tells us it's time to sleep. Um, This is one of my absolute favourite ideas in the whole world. So Emma might need to interrupt me if I (laughs) keep talking for the next 25 minutes. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, But it is a fascinating feature of all living things on the planet, not just humans, but cats and daisies and elephants and literally everything, that um, the organism has decided that the change from light to dark that happens every 24 hours is so important, which it is when you think about it, such a dramatic change that we can't react to it, we have to predict it. And the biological mechanism that does that for us is called the circadian system. And in human beings, this genuine clock sits in the brain about five centimeters from where I'm pointing now, deep at the base of the brain. And in terms of uh, our experience of this thing, this clock, We don't notice it most of the time uh, because it basically just ticks away and drives waking up and going to sleep. The only time we notice it really is with jet lag, where we notice the tension between the fact that we may have been traveling all day uh, and we get to the hotel and lie down in the bed. But even though we're exhausted, we don't sleep. And that's because as far as the body clock is concerned, we're on a different time zone and it's not time to sleep. So that's one of the few times we actually notice it. So what's that got to do with COVID and the social isolation or lockdown that we've all been experiencing? Well, even though this clock is a genuine clock, it's ticking away there uh, all the time uh, in in a molecular way that we understand pretty well. This clock also likes to take in information from the environment every day. We say it likes to be synchronized with the environment every day. And if the clock is not receiving regular information from the environment about when the sun has come up, it starts to get a bit uh, shaky. And one of the problems with social isolation is many of us have lost very major daily routines whether it be going to work you know getting the coffee from the nice woman at the bakery whether it be going for a a social event or going to study most of us have built in behaviors across the day that do this job of telling the body clock what time of day it is and locked up at home, there is a very real chance that we will start to get up at different times of day, be exposed to sunlight at different times of day, go to bed at different times of day. So we lose those routines. And that is a threat to our sleep quality. Uh, and and consequently, our mood. So uh, this is why you know, we're particularly interested in what's going on at the moment in terms of challenges for, for people with bipolar disorder and their sleep. We're in fact uh, collecting data at the moment from a large multinational study where we actually have uh, surveyed people right now during COVID and have confirmed exactly what I've just described that people are experiencing less routines now. Correlated with the fact that they're, they're experiencing less daily routine, they're sleeping worse. And correlated with both those things is their mood is, is struggling a bit. So there's uh, more depression around for people with bipolar disorder and people with also uh, unipolar depression at the moment. So that's exactly what we predicted based on theory.
2: And Greg, I just wanted to, to just jump in and, and just sort of validate that I, I've noticed... Um, myself that as I've gotten out of a routine I was really good in the beginning like was like okay I'm gonna get up at seven o'clock and this is all great and I was doing it for at least you know two weeks even and that was you know good and I would get up for my run and then as work started to peter out and all this and so I didn't have those um, demands that really forced me to get up I Mm. sort of became a little bit more lax about it and then uh, started to go to bed later and sleep later. And then I was sleeping longer, which for me, when I sleep longer is usually a sign that I'm moving into depression. Um, And so I had to sort of rejig it and i'm still now i'm i have a routine it's not what it used to be i used to go to bed very early and get up really early but now i've got the set routine and i'm doing sort of going for a run in the morning taking my dog out um, having breakfast and trying to stay within a sort of an hour range and i can and i notice my mood sort of um slowly increasing again but it's um it's certainly I. I I would be right on track with what you found in all the studies that you're doing or the study that you just talked about.
1: Thanks for that. That's, That's exactly what we're finding. But you've also pointed out another thing that we've been finding, which I wasn't sure which way it would go. We found a very strong correlation between length of sleep and depressive symptoms. So in bipolar disorder, it's, it's complicated, right? Because sometimes people have decreased need for sleep. Sometimes they have insomnia. Sometimes they have increased need for sleep. And, you know, the, the symptoms can go up or down. It's a complicated. So we weren't sure what, what to predict. But the strongest association between sleep and mood that we're seeing is that longer sleep is associated with the, having lowered mood. So, so exactly what you just described. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's why we think uh, COVID is particularly challenging and important to pay attention to for sleep in bipolar disorder. And just to say a couple of things, is this okay, Emma, can I go on a little bit longer? <laughs> Um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, just to say a couple more things about the importance of sleep in bipolar disorder so um, we do you know most people know that uh, changes in sleep are literally part of the diagnosis of bipolar disorder so a manic episode is defined on the basis of changes in sleep typically decreased need for sleep but also insomnia uh, and a depressive episode is also defined in terms of changes in sleep which can go either way again people can have difficulty sleeping or they can sleep more so it's intrinsic to the diagnosis but the thing that uh uh Alison Harvey who's one of the big researchers in this area has been pursuing for a long time and really confirmed in lots of different studies is that the sleep problems persist for people with bipolar disorder outside episodes so so this is just part of the lifestyle of someone with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Something like 70% of people with bipolar disorder report really very significant sleep problems, even when they're not ill with with episodes of, of mood disorder. And that's a very significant quality of life challenge. Uh, which is why in uh, the quality of life BD instrument, the survey instrument that Erin and I and Chris BD built a long time ago now, sleep is one of the domains because it's not just a symptom of the disorder. It's also part of the quality of life challenge of living with uh, bipolar disorder. Um, And then just one final thing before I I wind up. Um, I suppose the other really important thing to say is, You know, we're describing sleep as a challenge and a problem for people with bipolar disorder. But the good good news is there are also uh, treatments and and ways that people can self manage their sleep. And I suppose I'm hoping that today is an opportunity for us to talk about some of the things that work and benefit people. Victoria's already spoken clearly about the things that work for her and, and they're really important tips but we might hear other things as well today but yeah I suppose you know the, the take-home message is there are things we can do and many people with experience you know long experience of bipolar disorder have worked out what works for them in terms of uh, managing their sleep uh, and there are lots of things we can do. Uh, that we've learned both from the science and from the self-reports of people living with bipolar disorder about what might be useful. I'm done.
2: And were you um, speaking about some of the other kinds of uh, models of treatment? Were you speaking to that?
1: Um, so I, I can talk a, a bit more about uh, cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, for example. Is, is that what you're referring to, Victoria?
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm I just, just conscious of the time and I, I'm not sure. It seems like I've been talking a lot. <laughs> We're all good. It's is important <laughs> stuff. Okay. So... Um, in terms of the evidence for uh, improving sleep in bipolar disorder, um, many people will have heard of cognitive behavioural therapy, which is a behavioural and cognitive therapy uh, that is used for all uh, the, the mental disorders and, and mental challenges that people have, psychological challenges. Um, and it's also useful, useful for treating the symptoms, the mood symptoms of bipolar disorder and also good for... Um, preventing relapse in bipolar disorder. Cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia is the first-line treatment for insomnia. And insomnia is the most common sleep problem. Uh, And so not surprisingly, surprisingly, people have put those two ideas together. CBT works for bipolar disorder, CBT works for insomnia, into the question, does CBT for insomnia improve sleep in bipolar disorder and improve mood in bipolar disorder and indeed it does so cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a uh, package of interventions which includes things like sleep hygiene which is a concept that many people have heard of it's a funny name right sleep hygiene it it literally originated when um, uh, people thought that keeping your bed Clean was a very important aspect of um, of improving your sleep, and which sounds funny until you look at my twenty uh, year old daughter where her taking the food out of her bed is probably imp- pretty important um, before she can get to sleep that 's a parenting challenge that i haven 't quite succeeded at yet so sleep hygiene refers to the conditions in which you sleep, so you know making sure the room is cool dark that you're not having coffee you know an hour before bed though some people can but most of us can't that you're getting up at about the same time each day sort of um fairly common sense tips about uh the things you need to do to get a good night's sleep But cognitive behavioral therapy adds on to that it adds on the cognitive part uh for which includes for example unproductive beliefs about sleep so many people who aren't habitually good sleepers not surprisingly develop some pretty unproductive beliefs about sleep that can impact in fact impair their sleep so uh, people who've had trouble sleeping before can end up with a belief something like if I don't sleep well tomorrow is screwed now, now, that's a very unproductive way of thinking, especially as you're going to bed, right? Because it's sort of catastrophizing the, you know, the, the outcomes of poor sleep. Um, and so we, in CBTI, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia, we pay attention to unproductive beliefs that people have about sleep. Um, another unproductive belief that people have about sleep is um, they, they have sort of romantic ideas of what sleep used to be like when they were a young person, a child or a teenager. You know, people say, oh, I remember the first year uni, I would go to bed at one o'clock in the morning and sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon, completely oblivious to the world. I want to sleep like that. But of course, there are lots of things that have changed since you're in first year uni for most of us. And sleep is one of those things. We sleep less as we get older. We need less sleep. And we get more disrupted sleep as we get older. So that idea of being, you know, uh, completely oblivious, completely disconnected from the world for eight, nine, 10 hours is an unrealistic goal for most people. And we shouldn't be assessing our sleep against that goal. So there are a couple of things that are involved in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, perhaps as, as, as we go on, uh, um, uh, we'll also get the chance to mention some particular things we need to be a bit careful of when it comes to using CBTI for bipolar disorder, because there's a couple of things we need to be careful of.
0: those are all really great tips. Um, Victoria, did you want to share a little bit about any of those strategies that you've used and been particularly helpful from your perspective? Oh, you're just muted.
2: Thanks. I'm usually really good at that. Um, Yeah, sleep hygiene is uh, probably being one of the most important things, and I won't make the same joke I usually do about dirty sleep versus clean sleep, just not worth it, right? <laughs> um, and it, it does, it's sort of common sense, but it's not always common practice. And I'm finding in this sort of um, shelter in place time, it's even more difficult because there's in some ways, my, some people are working more, but my job is I've been working less. And I had a reoccurrence with depression and anxiety. And I find when I'm in the midst of a depression or anxiety, it's even harder to stay motivated to put these structures in place. So for me, it's the the one thing that I do find that I can do each time, but it doesn't always happen at the same time is sort of the order of my sleep routine for cues for myself. So I know that, I change into my jammies. I have like a really favorite house coat. Um, I know I'm going to be, I always have a book that I'm going to read for a half hour. Um, I almost do things in the same order, like how, you know, floss my teeth, brush my teeth, take my medication, let the dog out, crawl into bed, read a book, turn out light. And so even if I'm not, so I have to be really sort of gentle and give myself some wiggle room when I'm not able to follow it let's say if I'm going to bed at 9 30 and want to turn my light out at 10 30 you know say okay I can turn my light out at 11:30 or something but still follow those cues and those cues seem to really help um, I use an eye mask um, and earplugs uh, sometimes uh, those are really helpful as well so anything to to minimize disruption and then probably the most difficult part is around managing and i was curious about this with the cbt for insomnia with for bipolar disorder is when you're sleeping too much because that first hour when i wake up it is so easy i can have an argument in my head for an hour about why i should get up why i'm not getting up why I'd like to get up, why I can't get up, like it just goes on, you know, and I start to ruminate. Um, And I'm sure there's sort of some uh, CBT stuff for that where, and so I give myself an hour, you know, so if I wake up seven and I'm having a lot of trouble getting up, it's like, okay, eight (laughs) o'clock, three, two, one, okay, it's one one minute after eight, okay, I've still done it. So, you know, so those are some, and, and, and congratulating myself on small wins, uh, because uh, for any of you in the audience right now who are in a depression or in mania, it's, these things are really hard to put in place uh, on your own sometimes.
1: Yeah. Just to say a couple of things about that, Victoria. Thanks for providing those examples. It's, it's always a challenge, isn't it, with behavior change. Let's, let, let's take this example you just raised of getting up at the time you've sort of said would be good to get up. And we've just been saying how, you know, potentially useful it is to get up at about the same time each day. Actually, sorry, just let me underline that. You know, we were talking before about the body clock and how that daily routines is really important to help you sleep. There's actually... Quite a bit of evidence that the most important behavior that we need to make routine is the time you get up. So, I said there are all sorts of things the time you get up, the time you go to bed, when you have meals, when you socialize. It looks like the time you get up is the most important thing to stay to keep routine across days, seven days, not five. And a window of, as you were saying, Victoria, 30 minutes to an hour that's what we mean by. Uh, stable so given that yes you're absolutely you know uh, uh, you're right uh, um, Victoria that the challenge is well how do I get myself to do that and and what I really liked about the, the way you described it Victoria is you're kind of describing a gentle discipline <laughs> we, we can't be too harsh on ourselves but we can't be too lenient on ourselves. It's walk, walking that fine line, isn't it? Yeah. And I know when I use the word routine, some people hear that as meaning rigid. Yeah. It's not rigid. Um, it's, uh, sometimes when I talk about this, I say it's the difference between a drum machine and a drummer. Right. We don't want a drum machine. It doesn't have to be like this. It has to be a good, solid pulse It needs to be predictable, but it needs to be flexible. It needs to respond to what's going on. And so what you've just described, Victoria, I think is a good example of that sort of nudging yourself in the right direction and trying as much as possible to stay within the window and not beating yourself up on days that it doesn't happen and just getting back on the horse and saying, no, it is a good idea. I'll try again. How can I problem solve this? What might help me tomorrow? So in terms of the sorts of things that help people with that particular challenge of staying in bed and finding it hard to get up in the mornings, there are a few things that, uh, we can suggest, um, One of the things that uh, helps is if you are actually seeing daylight early in the morning. And I know you said, Victoria, which is a very good idea that you often use an eye mask and and earplugs. Now that's great for getting asleep and staying (laughs) asleep, but, but we ideally we will start then in the morning to give cues to the body that the day has started. So if you're near a window and can, when your first alarm goes off (laughs) and can flick open the blinds and start to get those cues that the day has started. So light is, you know, probably the most important cue, but also other sort of social uh, triggers that the day has started. So a lot of people will, you know, turn on the radio. So there's actually dynamic human interaction rather than perhaps checking your email, which, which is the, the habit for many of us, which is more of a passive sort of thing. If, if you can connect up to real-time things that are going on in the world, that cues that, you know, the day has started and maybe I want to join it. Mm-hmm. So, so those things sort of things happen. I, I've, I've had a few...
0: We've got lots of questions coming in thick and fast, so I'll just give you a moment.
1: Okay, so just to, just to finish that, um, and I'm sure people will be talking about these strategies, which is brilliant. Um, one of the things that some people choose to do is actually set up multiple alarm clocks uh, so, so that there's one that they actually have to get up to turn off, but that, that's an extreme measure.
2: That's, that's one I was going to say is that yeah. uh, I know some people where um, they put it sort of on the other side of the room and there's actually an alarm clock. That will um, fall apart when it goes off, and the only way that you can turn it off is by putting oh. it together. <laughs> <laughs> so that um, I have not used that, and I I don't I, I won't. But uh, just for any of you who are hardcore, that you can try it out. Google calling a plot. Uh, I, yeah. I think
0: that. More on the discipline spectrum of the discipline that we're aiming for. (laughs) Thank you both for sharing uh, that that background about why sleep is important and um, what we can do. Um, So, as I said, we do have a bunch of questions coming in. We suspected this would be a really interesting and engaging topic. Um, So, the first one that we've had is can sleep and sorry, can stress and lack of sleep bring on a manic episode or is it a symptom that lets us know that we're already experiencing a bout of mania?
1: Victoria, do you want to have a go at this one?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say, uh, just, I can't say with any scientific um, sort of research, but I'd say it can be both. So for myself, um, if I'm sleeping less and under stress, Uh, It can, uh, the the lack of sleep can be a symptom of mania and an indication that something is coming on. Um, But I also recognize that uh, if I continue to have a lack of sleep, and the stress levels remain the same, it can definitely exacerbate whatever mood symptom I'm experiencing. So it can either exacerbate the mania that I might be going into, or it can exacerbate a mixed state, which I often am in where it's depression and anxiety. So to me that sleep has been sleep and exercise have been the two real pillars for me to maintain um, in order to stabilize my mood, to get it to sort of some kind of baseline. Um, and, And it's something that I feel like I, I may not always be able to get right, in quotes, right, because there's no perfect or right, but it's something that I have more more control over than, say, circumstances around me.
1: Yeah, and and the the research would back you up entirely on that, Victoria. um, The sleep matters, whether it's sort of a a predictor of of a manic episode or it's part of the slide into mania or it's part of hypomania or mixed state in a way it doesn't matter what, what we know is that sleep matters. And if, if you, if um, stress is impairing your sleep, then getting on top of that sleep issue is, is really important. And as you say, if Victoria, if it's an area where we do have some control perhaps, you know, the, the stress, if it's to do with problems at work or problems in a relationship or whatever it might be more difficult we might have less control over that than we do our sleep routines and so yeah I'd agree with you let's just focus on that whether it's a cause of an episode or part of an episode it, it doesn't really matter that much
2: yeah. and, and and dealing with both of them at the same time so the things that i can't control about maybe the stress in terms of other people's behaviors but how i'm dealing with it so going to counseling or therapy or just talking to a friend about it can help decrease that stress that makes it easier to find my good sleep pattern yeah i like
0: what greg said about regardless of the exact relationship that's occurring there. We know sleep is, is really important. Um, so the next question, uh, a person has asked, I take more naps anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours in the day since the lockdown. I generally feel better on days that I take naps, but I'm not sure if that's because of the naps themselves or just being able to take care, better care of myself at home. Um, have naps been scientifically proven to help with bipolar
1: disorder? I heard the word science, I heard the word science, (laughs) (laughs) Um, they haven't been scientifically, thank you for that really interesting question, they haven't been scientifically proven to help with bipolar disorder, no one's done, to my knowledge, any research specifically on naps. You raise a really interesting question. in, and I kind of need to ask you another question back, unfortunately, it, it, there's no problem with napping. And if, if if naps make you feel better immediately afterwards and uh, days on which you nap tend to be better mood days, that's all sounding good. From a sleep at night perspective, of course, we're a little bit concerned that naps in the daytime might make it harder for you to sleep at night. Um, uh, so assuming that it's not, uh, if you're still sleeping well at night and your personal evidence is that the naps are working for you, then that sounds great. Um, in, in theory, uh, a two-hour nap in the daytime is, is a, you know, I would be um, not recommending that. In, in theory, um, because that's a, that's a big chunk of sleep. And it means you're getting right down potentially into the deepest stages of sleep. Um, and normally we say, you know, f- for sleep problems at night, if you have to nap, because uh, you're, you, you know, you're, you're overwhelmed with tiredness, keep them short. So you just get the sort of refreshing aspect of a nap, say, 20 minutes around that sort of duration without getting into those deep phases of sleep that's what we normally say as part of sleep hygiene is to minimize naps make them short and make them early in the day but if your experience is that you, you can have these naps they make you feel better you're not groggy after them and they're not impairing sleep at night then it sounds like it's working for you
2: yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, jump in really quickly, is that one of the things i found is that there's uh, times when, even though it doesn't make sense that naps, in quotes, should be working for me, they are because it's a way that I'm really uh, being kind to myself and taking care of myself and doing self-soothing um, acts. And so uh, that's one thing that, I, that I've noticed is that doing really comforting things during and around this time Um, sometimes supersede all the rationale behind why I shouldn't take maps and I think it's going harkens back to what you were saying Greg about that that um, balance between um, you know it's not about rigidity it's about flowing with you know the evidence that you're finding and 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 what um, probably needs to happen as well so so I think it's a really good question I think a lot of people um, wonder about that.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you.
2: This
0: question is I think Uh, one that probably a a lot of people are unfortunately experiencing at this time. Um, I I lost my job due to COVID-19, and I don't think I'll ever get that job back. I I go to bed late because I'm afraid of having bad dreams. And when I wake up, I'm filled with anxiety. Um, I eat sugar when I wake up in the middle of the night, and I have no idea why. Um, How am I ever going to get a good night's
1: rest? I'm sorry to hear that. That's a really tough situation to be in. Um, in in phases of my life where the, the sleep has gone off and the, and the dreams are bad and the future is looking bleak, that's a very, very tough spot to be in. And um, it's, it's not just the sleep that's the problem there, is it? There's a sort of sense of being a bit out of control and, and very anxious about the future and... and part of that anxiety is entirely realistic but probably if you're not sleeping well there's also some anxiety catastrophizing overlay on that so it's a mixture of realistic concerns and probably very pessimistic thinking as well so so that's a very understandable cycle that that you're in where where a a major life stressor has has thrown off that comfortable cycle of withdrawing into sleep at night and and functioning in a motivated way in the daytime. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. It it seems a bit uh, given that challenge. It's it's uh, it seems a bit superficial to start to talk about what you can do do to improve your sleep. Um, but uh, I. D- you know the the general principles if we 're focusing on the sleep aspect of what 's going on, one of the things that uh, we do know is important is you know for people who are sleeping badly uh, let 's leave the the bad dreams aside. Um, for people who are, are sleeping badly uh, one of the primary things that we know c- can uh, be part of the the driver of that. Is that they're bringing worries from the day into the nighttime. And, you know, people always laugh when I say, you know, try not to worry about this because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so obviously a challenge uh, to, to not worry about the future. But in fact, you know, after 20 years or so as a worrying, as a psychologist and, and 62 years as a worrying person, I know that there are things you can do to minimise the habit of worrying. And one of the most important things you can do is to not um, open up questions about what's the future going to be like, what am I going to do about, what if, not open up those questions after the sun goes down. One of the things that most reliably disturbs sleep is uh, uh, starting to think about problems in life in the evening and especially in bed. And there are very good reasons why uh, that's a bad time to think about those things. So one of the standard things we do in CBTI is train people up to um, address their problems or think about them if they want to worry about things is actually set set aside a time to do that thinking and even worrying, but make sure that happens in the daytime Not close to sleep. That is, we draw a line and we say, I will not be thinking about my employment prospects anymore today. I'm done with that. I will use distraction, I will watch Netflix, I will do self soothing things, I will engage, I will look after myself, I will comfort myself during that evening time. If I want to worry or plan or problem solve, That has to happen earlier in the day. It can't happen once the sun's gone down and it definitely can't happen in bed. So look, that's just one idea. And as I say, it feels a bit superficial to um, be even talking in in those simple terms about that challenge because it's a tough one. Uh, But that's, that's one thing that uh, I would predict would be useful. Victoria.
2: Yeah. um, I just want to say my heart goes out to you. You're, you're not alone. Um, I know I'm I've experienced sort of loss and a, a lot of people around uh job uh and other things as well and so um I I I feel like the most important thing uh has been and we seem to come back to this in each of these sessions is about self compassion because it for me anyway because I I've been experiencing something very similar around um Difficulties sleeping and anxiety and fear and all those kinds of things. And they affect the quality of sleep. Even if I'm sleeping a long time, the quality of sleep varies. And that being able to bring uh, self-compassion allows me to also give myself a little bit of room to be neurotic. And I'm calling myself neurotic because I see my patterns with bipolar disorder heightened in this time that's so unique and so uh, stressful. And so uh, Kristen Neff uh, and Tara Brack have some really good uh, podcasts and meditations. Um, They won't, they're not part of necessarily problem solving, but they're part of self-soothing. And I find that when I can actually contact that part of me that is self-soothing, and is compassionate towards myself, even a little bit. And if those words don't work, whatever words are more appropriate for you, for me sometimes just the word softening helps. Um, It allows me to actually be more effective in my problem solving. And it allows me to even um, have the feelings come up that that sometimes can be preventing me from falling asleep. Um, And sometimes I need to talk to a friend about how to access that kind of self-compassion because when you're i I can speak for myself when i'm feeling all the sort of those really negative um uh catastrophizing and pessimistic thoughts i can be very judgmental of the way that i'm being because i think i know better than this you know i've been living with this for a long time and so talking to a friend often helps Um, so I don't know that those two resources, Kristen Neff and Tara Brack are really good for finding meditations and they really give some science behind self-compassion and some quick um, uh, exercises as well. And I think um, probably Laura can put that into the, uh, yep, yeah, she's already done it. <laughs> she's put it in the chat. So um, yeah. And and just on the sugar note, I totally get it. I have been buying far more and baking far more desserts than I have ever done. Not just because I have more time. And uh, I think it's, there's something about the whole self-medicating and I've done that with food and sugar. So um, uh, if it's possible to let go of the judgment, that's, that's more than what I do too.
0: I also want to offer thanks to the question Asker for sharing their experiences in this time and, and to our forum. for um, it, obviously, it's a very big question for trying to um, offer some compassionate suggestions about how to manage that. And on the, the note of self compassion, uh, all of our previous Talk BD sessions mm-hmm. are still available to view online. And um, Victoria and Erin Mahalik and myself talk a lot about um, self compassion and responding to those feelings of anxiety uh, in the, the first two of those sessions. This will probably have to be our last question due to time, but it's come up for a couple of people, so it seems pretty important. Um, Is there any evidence to recommend uh, melatonin tablets to try to regulate sleep?
1: Uh, Short answer, yes. Uh, So uh, melatonin has two uh, properties that are relevant to this discussion. Firstly, melatonin is slightly soporific. That is, it encourages you to fall asleep. But the other feature of melatonin is it's one of those signals we were talking about that the body clock likes. It's a marker of darkness. And so for those of us who are stuck inside most of the day, we're not getting as much variation in light and dark as um, our body clock would like. A melatonin tablet taken uh, an hour or two before planned bedtime provides that sort of pulse across days that helps the body clock stay in sync. So, yeah, uh, there's a bunch of evidence that melatonin works in that way.
2: And I can't speak. I I have not taken melatonin, um, so I can't really speak to that.
0: Um, if that one was a quick answer, we might have time for one more. This one will have to be your, your shortest, <laughs> snappiest answer. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, sleep hypnosis? Um, the question Asker has said, I think it's the speaker's voice being monotone, nearly meditative. Um, it seems my brain can listen or ruminate, but not both at the same time. Is there any research on this?
1: Uh, I've never heard of sleep hypnosis. I'm sorry. Um, I, if in my normal habit, would be now to Google it. So, if Victoria, have you heard of sleep hypnosis? Because so I can Google it.
2: I mean, I, I, there's two things that I thought of is that. Um, there's hypnosis for sleep so that you learn a certain thing so that it allows you to fall asleep more easily. So you learn cues. Um, I don't know how, what science basis is, but then also that there's a sort of a different meditation uh, um, apps and tapes, they're not tapes, but apps and uh, recordings. Um, even one that's where it's boring stories, I don't know what the the actual website is um to help you go to sleep and so I know that uh, there's anecdotal evidence for sure around that and i I find that like music has been very helpful and um, different kinds of um, relaxation, progressive relaxation exercises are helpful.
1: yeah, I've just googled it. It, yeah, <laughs> it 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 is that sort of thing, so yes, there's lots of evidence that uh, distraction and, and as, as the questioner put it you know it's, it's hard for your mind to listen to a discussion and ruminate so it's a great uh, distraction tool to have a an engaging conversation going on in your head that isn't the stuff your own head is generating um, and hypnosis on, on my understanding would be one version of that and music falls under the same heading as also does, you know, the classic meditation techniques of listening to your own breathing, for example. Um, the, the thing of getting out of your head, you know, your, your thoughts at night, especially if you're lying in bed trying to get to sleep, tend to be very destructive. Um, some other uh, friend of mine described it as if if I start thinking, while I, when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like opening a, the kitchen drawer and choosing which sharp knife to use. It's a, bit, it's a really bad time to be trusting your own thoughts. And anything that gets you out of your head uh, tends to be uh, useful in, in getting to sleep. Listening to your own breathing, the sound that your breathing makes... Uh, is a very powerful technique which works very similarly to listening to music listening to the radio listening to boring conversations or a guided meditation hypnosis type thing they're all I think working through a similar process of getting you out of your head um, and those things do work they're, they're not like a silver bullet but many people find they've learned over time that yes, if I'm not sleeping well, this is a strategy that tends to work. It's worth a try for me.
0: Thank you both for that one. Um, And for sharing your expertise on all of these different strategies that we can try. I've also personally appreciated the little refresher course, um, as I think many people will. Uh, And thank you to everyone who asked a question. Apologies if we didn't get around to it in time. Um, But we also have lots of Resources available on the Crest BD Wellness Centre about sleep. So hopefully we'll drop that in the chat as well for you. Uh, Victoria's shared some of her tips for getting the sleep that you need and want in more detail in one of our blog posts. So you can also visit there. And we have some videos showing those sleep tips in action from Victoria. Um, <laughs> So she's a, a resident expert on the, the lived experience of sleeping well. Um, I would I would highly recommend both. We've we've had lots of really positive feedback about those. We also have the quality of life tool on the uh, BDQOL website. This is a place where you can measure your quality of life both in sleep and across a range of other areas that we know are important to well-being for people who live with bipolar disorder and this can be really useful for checking in, seeing how you're going and getting linked into tips and resources. We also have our Academic Crest BD website and this is where you can stay in the loop about the research projects that we're currently conducting, including Bipolar Bridges, which is supporting the development of a digital health tool to improve well-being in bipolar disorder. Uh, one of the other projects is uh, from Greg's team, which is looking at, like you said earlier, the impact of COVID-19 on daily routines. So we're interested in having people with, I believe, unipolar and bipolar disorder participate. Greg, do you wanna speak a little to that?
1: Yeah, so it's the the topic we've been talking about all day is what has been the impact on your daily routines of COVID and isolation, and how does that relate to your moods and your sleep? Uh, We've got something like 500 people from around the world have uh, responded already. Uh, and yeah, we would love to hear your experience. There's also open questions in the survey where we're sort of trying to tap people's tips and tricks for what's working and what's not working for them around those challenges. So, yeah, it's an opportunity to contribute things that uh, you think might be useful for other people uh, in terms of managing sleep during this time.
0: Great, thank you. Um, and the other survey that we've got going on at the moment is about. kinds of apps that people use to support their well-being when living with bipolar disorder, as well as if you happen to be a clinician who works with people with bipolar disorder, whether there's any particular apps that you recommend people use. Uh, We know that digital tools are really starting to become central, uh, especially in the current time where people may not be able to access their usual supports. Um, So we really want to tap into your knowledge, Uh, about what works, whether there's a particular sleep or meditation app that you're using, um, please visit our survey and tell us about it. Our next event is going to be focusing on ways to cope with depression, particularly during this time. Uh, And that is going to run on uh, May 27th in Melbourne, um, May 26th if you're in North America, um, at 5pm and you can register on that, for that on the Talk BD website. Uh, you can also submit questions for future events, uh, and you can view the recordings of previous Talk BD sessions there as well. We'd like to extend a warm thank you to those who are funding our work and all of our partner organisations who have helped out with these events. And if you'd like to stay up to date with our work or the work of our partner organisations, you can follow us on social media. And we are really interested in your feedback about these events. We have a survey link on the TalkVD website. This is really important to help us make sure that they run even better. And it's also a place where you can tell us about what other topics you'd like to hear about, what, what else is, is uh, important to your self-management, particularly at this time. So once again, thank you so much to everyone who attended shared questions, and to our presenters, Greg and Victoria, for sharing their expertise. Until next time, everyone, please stay healthy and well.